0: Greed, for lack of a better word, is good. <sighs> Incorrect, Mr. Gecko! Today's process is this: why Gordon Gecko was wrong. Sit back, relax, let's light that lantern. Well, hello there, Rangers. Wade Skolski here, lawyer, online entrepreneur, and your guide to the understory. Because this place is filled with monsters and bandits, here comes your first warning. Although I am a lawyer, this podcast is not for legal advice work with me, you must have a signed agreement. This podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. All right, let's enter the understory. Remember, admission is free, but understanding always has a price. Let's light the lantern. What is up, Rangers? Those of you who are stuck in the understory against your will, and those of you who are in the understory on paper, on purpose, Wade Skalski here, the understory lawyer. We are going back to the 80s. So for those of you who weren't born in the 80s uh, or don't remember or were very young, there was a movie called Wall Street, which had Charlie Sheen on it way before he was doing the winning. And uh, we also had Michael Douglas. Uh, Michael Douglas of Basic Instinct fame, which you probably also haven't seen, if you haven't seen Wall Street, but he played a character in there called Gordon Gecko, who was a Wall Street robber baron who would basically buy companies, break them up, sell them, do all that kind of stuff, kind of like an evil Thomas Crown Affair guy. If you ever watched a Thomas Crown Affair with um, Pierce Brosnan, he was sort of like a kind of like a rich guy with a mischievous but good heart. I guess I don't know. So. In any event, Gordon Gekko had this whole idea of this excess of the 80s, which agreed, for lack of a better word, was good. Um, 80s was coming out of the malaise of the 70s, which is much like the roaring 20s coming out of World War I. And so there's always this sort of this this time after chaos where a a civilization or a culture can go into this sort of greed mentality, right? Which is we're just going to get what's ours. Some would argue that we've been in that since the 90s. I don't know. Whatever. That's up to you. Uh, It's not really a moral judgment either way. But I'm going to have you consider the possibility that Gordon Gecko was wrong, and I can make the argument from two different perspectives. I can make it from an altruistic perspective, which is um, the right thing to do is to not be greedy, and I can also do it from a selfish reason. Now, the altruistic one is is an easy argument to always make it's the idea of the golden rule you want to treat other people like you would like to be treated and so that's that's just the it's the right thing to do even if you were to lose money um you will gain in the long run spiritually if uh what you make which will more than compensate for what you lose in the short run okay okay But even if that doesn't happen, even if you aren't compensated sort of equal to equal, it's still the right thing to do. And that's why you should do it altruistically. Now, some days I wake up on the side of the bed and I'm feeling very altruistic. And I'm like, okay, I will do the right thing today. Uh, And then on some days when I'm under financial pressure, uh, I have a large amount of um, desire to do things for selfish reasons. Right. So what I always try to do is I always try to... Get enough perspective on something to where the altruistic reason is the same as the selfish reason, meaning the action is the same. So how can it be, if how could it be that greed, um, you know, in terms of which is hoarding resources, taking everything you can possibly can for yourself, uh, how can that be um, a selfish a selfish reason to not do that? Right. So okay, so let's let's break this down for a second now greed if we're back in the day where there's no communication no communication between anyone um, there's no travel that allows you to go long distances you're just kind of like in your little area right greed may make sense for more of a strategy than um, back in those times because back in those times really there was so much scarcity that it might make sense for you to hoard resources this is the whole the king has all the resources and and all the subjects and everything help him hoard all those resources and that was just accepted because there was a, a base level of security that was granted and like a base level of you know protection and and community which is very small though and the king got all the, the goodness um But today, where you have instant communication across the world, like there's nowhere to hide. You can't hide your reputation anywhere. Okay, like you if you get found out, you get found out. And it's very hard to rehabilitate your your reputation. Okay, so that's issue number one. Issue number two, though, is that your success in business and in life really relies upon your ability to get other people to cooperate with you. And uh, take marriage, for example, right? Like you're not a dictator in your own home if you want to have a successful marriage. And if you want, you know, your kids and your wife to stay with you the whole time, you've you've got to learn how to compromise and so that everyone can get sort of – what they need from the relationship and no one gets everything they want. It's just it's just a fact. Whenever you enter into a relationship with anyone in marriage, nobody gets everything that they want, but the combined efforts of the two of you more than compensates for that. And what you'll find a lot of times in marriage is that I'm going to sneeze. what you'll find basically in marriage is that what you thought you wanted when you went into marriage if you're working with your spouse cooperatively you get way more than you ever thought that you and things you didn't even know that you wanted um, that's one's for free that one's aside that's a pro marriage that's a pro marriage plug right there but in any event the uh, when you're trying to get anyone to work with you uh, y- your success relies upon the number of people that you can get to cooperate with you and that's why I think in terms of when you're entering to deals, you don't want to take every dollar that's on the table in a deal because you want people to walk away from a deal feeling good about what happened. The, the, the dreaded air quotes win win so that everyone um, so that everyone basically wants to to come back with you again, wants to do a deal with you again, because if you uh, you never get referral, you know, you never get referral referrals if you make out all of your clients feel like they got taken advantage of number one number two is they're never going to buy anything from you so you have like a really there's always a really high high cost on the front end of um high cost on the front end of acquiring a client but then once you acquire the client second third fourth and fifth money is always much much less expensive um for, for for that client because you've already acquired them so it's it's much cheaper to get um, to get them to buy from you again and that profit then is profit on the second third and fourth transaction with that client and you do that by you just keep providing value for them that's one of the reasons why when I discovered in terms of my original business I was like I can't do this anymore when I was a criminal defense attorney there was no second third and fourth money the only the only Downstream money was either from an expungement, which was three years later. It's a really long buying cycle, uh, number one. And then after that, there was no, nothing extra. Or number two was um, the uh, the other issue was is that in order for me to make more money again from the same client after I've acquired them, they have to get in trouble again. And that would always bum me out because I was like, oh, man, this person got another DUI. It bummed me out. Um, that makes me sad and, uh, I'm not super happy about the development, but I'm going to take the case cause it's in my financial best interest. And so that's when I, once I realized that I was like, okay, so I have, two, I have two choices, three choices. Choice. Number one is I can just suck it up and I can just be on the internal hamster wheel of continuing to acquire clients, different clients, different clients, different clients, different clients. Um, I think you can figure out I chose not to do that by the fact that I'm doing the understory lawyer podcast. Uh, Issue number two was, or choice number two was, is that I could create some product for my clients post-conviction. So I could do some service, I could do some, um, or some tangential service, I don't know, a credit repair or, um uh, some information product for job search with a conviction, something like that. And I really had no interest in doing that because it was, it was too far afield of of basically kind of my skill set, too far afield of what I wanted to do. I was like, I don't really want to do that. Or third was going to completely different type of law. And that's when I was like, okay, we're going into trust and estates. I'm going into, um, basically business, legal business consulting. So, so right now we're, we're deep in the trust and estates, the, the building of that, that's the core business. And, uh, and then we have information products that we front end on that for client acquisition to provide value, but then sets up sets up multiple streams of income, multiple times for that person to purchase. And so that's why like on the front end offer, why the, the book that I'm writing, um, I keep changing the title, but the book that I'm writing uh is gonna be free plus shipping, right? Because you wanna give a lot of value up front, right? Then the course is I can't decide what the price point of the course is gonna be, but all of that's gonna lead then into the supply side of the of the value ladder, which is the trust and estates work and so that there's a long arc where clients can come prospective clients can come in and out of there but then once any point that they come in either in the book or in the course or just straight to the legal service there are subsequent things that I can market to them that we can keep working together and it can keep being a win-win. But if I'm super greedy and I, I like max out the course or max out the book or max out the trust and estates, then I have to keep reacquiring clients. And then there's no lifetime value. There's no continuity to the business. And uh, that's not a really good model. So greed actually makes your life a lot harder let me say that again to you greed selfishly actually makes your life a lot harder and when you're young and you have a lot of energy maybe you don't notice that um you know and, and it doesn't even have to be in business like you can be greedy with you can be greedy with like in competition like you want to win every single game right and you 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 play every game like it must be won no matter what to the point of where you like you're no fun to play with And then you can't get teammates to play with you. No one wants to play with you. And even if you're super, super, super talented, the moment that your talent dips, because it will, because Father Time is undefeated, the moment that your talent dips, people won't want to play with you anymore. They'll only play with you. If you commoditize your teammates, they'll only play with you as long as you are valuable to them in a commodity sense. There's no loyalty in that respect. And and so, like, loyalty... It's funny. The only person I've ever seen in sports ever get away with this is LeBron James. And regardless if you like him or don't like him or whatever, is that his his level of talent has remained so high for so long that he actually can do whatever he wants. Like, he can he can move from team to team. With, he's just won his third championship with his third different team. No one's, I don't think anyone's ever done that. Uh, maybe Robert Ward did that. Let me see Spurs. Lakers. I don't know. Whatever. It doesn't really matter. But never. No one's ever done it as the main guy. People have been, you know, support players and done it, but no one's ever been the main guy. So LeBron is in this weird state where he kind of gets to do whatever he wants. But once, once his talent level goes down enough to where he can't play anymore, then I think that mercenary moving around um, isn't going to hold him in good stead. Right? Like he's not going to get the Kobe giant contract when Kobe couldn't play anymore because Kobe earned it. Um, now I'm not saying mercenary in a bad sense. And I'm not judging LeBron. I'm just saying it as a as it's a he's commoditized himself more with his talent because his talent's been so high. He's just done whatever he's wanted to. I think that's obvious. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm good for him. Like, I think people should be allowed to operate in business however they want. And he should be able to, to take his talents to, to wherever he wants. Um, and I'm not mad at him for it. I just think there is a downside to that, and and there's you got to find that balance between um, doing exactly what you want and then also making it a win win for everyone else. Now Anthony Davis thinks it's awesome because Anthony Davis gets a W. Um, but I don't know, you know, I don't know if that if those wins are more satisfying than if you were to to do it like Jordan did it and just get them all with the same team and then because you know who does LeBron? Who do you identify LeBron with? Do you identify him with the Lakers? Do you identify him with the Heat? Do you identify him with Cleveland? Like. I don't identify him with any of those teams really because I think if he would have stayed in Cleveland, you could have identified him with Cleveland. But once he left and go to Lakers, like who's, who's his team. Right. And you know, that's a psychic benefit that he's not going to get necessarily, but I don't think he really cares, but I would care. So anyway, So like, look, like it's some days you're going to wake up on the side of the bed where you're feeling very altruistic and you're going to do the right thing. Some days you're going to wake up on the bed under stress and pressure and you're going to have the pressure to do a selfish thing. And so if you do the work before you get in that situation and you realize that the altruistic play and the selfish play are the same thing, then it's, you just don't ever, you're always, you're acting, always going towards your razor mission. You're always acting and going in the same place. And with enough perspective, almost, almost every single thing is the, is, is almost every single altruistic play is the selfish play, except for personal, except for physically, personally sacrificing yourself. Um, Except for physically, personally sacrificing yourself to save someone else, like you die, because then that's obviously like the selfish thing is to live. Um, The altruistic thing is to sacrifice yourself for someone else, but that almost never happens. Ever like ninety nine point nine percent of people in the whole world will never be placed in that situation. So, other other than that that exception, the rule basically is is that um, with enough perspective, the selfish move, the altruistic move, is almost always a selfish move. And that just makes it really easy to operate. And that's, that is a a heuristic that I helps me a lot because I'm an incredibly selfish person because I'm a human being like anyone that tells you they're not selfish is lying to you. Now they may be not selfish on certain days, but just like, look, if you ever have kids, you certainly have to get selfish about your time, you know, in on occasion, like there are times you're trying to, especially working from home in the quarantine. There are times where you're really trying to, um, you're really trying to get something done and your kids are like, right. And they're fighting about blueberries and you have an instinct to be selfish with your time. Um, tomorrow I'm going to go more into divine interruptions. And, um, I think it's a, a, that's a really good tool to actually show you how to not have those feelings for interruptions. Um, but the, the altruistic thing is is to inv- – the altru- I, won't, I won't step on the lead. Step on the lead. The altruistic thing is, is honestly the self- is uh, in those situations is also the selfish thing to do too. So what I want you to do is take out your ranger field journal. If you don't have a ranger field journal, what I want you to do is take out a regular journal. If you don't have a regular journal, for the love of God, go buy yourself a journal. But for right now, what I want you to do is I want you to buy um, – I want you to take out your unicorn trapper keeper from the fifth grade. And what I want you to do is I want you to write down um, – something that you struggle with and just write down altruistic and then selfish and then try to make those two things the same with enough perspective so that you always act the same for that thing that you struggle with. And just remember, there is no end if it's in the path to understanding. If you are listening to this podcast and you are an online entrepreneur, I know exactly what it feels like to be you because I am one. I know what it's like to know that you are smart and work your ass off, but always feel like you cannot get traction. I know what it feels like to have your spouse support you outwardly, but on the inside they're saying to themselves, is this going to work? And I know that you want to create something in business, but you always end up chasing the same dollar over and over, or maybe you want to create something in the arts, but you feel like you shouldn't play there, so you wander in the forest, stuck in the understory. I spent over 40 years there fighting the same monsters and bandits over and over. And when I discovered that if you learn what the understory is and you start to go there on purpose, you can find a clearing where you have clarity and power in your commerce, connections, and creations. You handle the forest like a badass ranger with the proper mindsets and skill sets that you need. Not once chosen for you by some guru or your parents, but chosen by you on paper. purpose we can walk the understory together but i cannot find you unless you raise your hand and say i'm over here subscribe to my email list at understorylawyer.simplecast.com let's find your clearing together a place free of entanglements a place with a bedrock foundation and a place where you set the boundaries not anyone else